The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. Stacy Catron has one of the coolest jobs ever. She gets to live gardening in the past, in the present, and influence gardens of the future. As the director of the Cherokee Garden Library within the Keenan Research Center at the Atlanta History Center, she manages the development, preservation, and interpretation of a 33,000-item growing collection. Everything from garden and landscape-related rare books, contemporary volumes, manuscripts, photographs, landscape architectural drawings, periodicals, seed catalogs, and, and ephemera, you know, old postcards. She curates numerous exhibits, lectures regularly regarding rare garden books and historic landscapes, is published in many newsletters, journals, and books. Her latest award-winning book, co-authored with Mary Ann Eddy, is titled Seeking Eden, a collection of Georgia's historic gardens, with photographs by James R. Lockhart. Katrin holds a B.A. in history and Latin from Agnes Scott College a Master's of Heritage Preservation from Georgia State University, and our primary teacher certification. This is episode 119, The Cherokee Garden Library, Unearthing Ancient Gardening Wisdom with Stacy Catron. An encore presentation and remix of episode 39. Stacy, tell us about the Cherokee Garden Library. The Cherokee Garden Library is a really special place. I think it's one of the gems here. It's one of the special collections of the Keenan Research Center, which is the archives of the Atlanta History Center. It has an interesting backstory. It was actually started by a local garden club here in Atlanta named the Cherokee Garden Club in 1975. It's also named for our state flower, the Cherokee Rose. The library collects and preserves all kinds of books and periodicals and drawings and seed catalogs and photographs, postcards pertaining to everything to do with gardening, agriculture, landscape design, garden history, port, floral design, botanical art, even plant ecology. We got lots of stuff on birds, flora and fauna, both, of course, natural landscapes and our cultural landscapes as well. I really like the collection because I like history and I like old things. We date back in the collection to 1586, and we go right up to the present, to 2021. Why is the library important to our garden and future? Well, I think it's important because it really does trace the roots of American horticultural history and gardening history. And it sort of does this great big look at gardening and everything pertaining to gardening and agriculture from about 1600 through the present. tells thousands of stories of all the people who've shaped the land over time going all the way back to the Muscogee and Seminole and Cherokee um, to present day. I think it really just gives us a deep look into all things that shape our land. If we think about it, the land shapes our life in the most profound way, and especially in the state of Georgia. Who are some of the more notable people to visit the library? 
everybody likes famous people coming. But for me, and I didn't get to meet her because I was in kindergarten when this happened, but (laughs) I know from the records that Lady Bird Johnson visited here in 1975. And of course, she was the first lady. I call her the greenest first lady because she was an environmentalist. And of course, they didn't use those terms in the 70s. They used terms more like beautification back then. Her motto was, where flowers bloom, there blooms hope. A friend of mine cross-stitched that for me because I just love that. Right after the Garden Library opened its doors in 1975, she visited here and she was hosted by Louise Allen, who was Mayor Ivan Allen's wife, First Lady of Atlanta in that time period, and Ann Carr, who founded the library with her fellow Cherokee Garden Club members that year. It's just special that somebody so important came here. We have this great two-volume work about wildflowers, and she actually signed it to the Garden Library. Whenever I want to, I can go and look at Lady Bird's signature and show it to people who come in to visit the library. That's part of a greater volume of work, too, isn't it? It is. It's a really big 14-volume collection. It was done by this gentleman named Dr. Harold Rickett, who at that time was sort of the wildflower expert. That huge run started in 1966 and went through 1973. I have to say the funniest thing about it is two volumes for the Northeast, two volumes for the Southeast, et cetera, all around the country. And I guess because Lady Bird was involved with these books, there's two separate volumes just on Texas. That cracks me up because that sounds very Texas to me. <laughs> like they had to have their own two volumes. They can- exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Which is just They're funny. still their own country, yeah, I think. I think they think they are. <laughs> It's pretty funny. How many books do you have in the library, do you think? Well, all the items total are about 33,000 items. That also includes the drawings and the photographs, the seed catalogs and everything all together. Books, I'd say about 22,000. Out of those 22,000, what is the oldest book you have in the library? The oldest book is this really small book called The Profitable Art of Gardening. It was written by a gentleman named Thomas Hill and printed in London in 1586. You know, it's a long time ago. Over 400 years ago, this book was done. It's a really interesting volume. Do you have a favorite passage in that book? I absolutely do. It's written in late old English, but it has this wonderful passage where Mr. Hill's writing about why we garden for the health of the body as to the pleasure and the delight of the eye. And that's why we garden. He was writing this way back in 1586. Think about now, a lot of the reasons I garden at home is to keep my body healthy, but it's also to bring pleasure and delight to my eye and to really have that beauty surround me every day. So I think a lot of gardeners could relate to that. Oh, yeah, that's timeless. Tell us about another book that you find interesting in the library. Another older book that really speaks to me is another English book by a gentleman named John Evelyn. He was an English author that wrote about horticulture and architecture and, strangely, vegetarianism back in the (laughs) 1700s. He was an eclectic fellow. But this book was called Silva, or A Discourse of Forest Trees. In the 1664 book, he was really advocating to King Charles II and the aristocracy to please plant more trees throughout England. This time, England was really denuding its forests, tearing out of its trees to build up its big English navy that became very famous. Unlike today, where it's all happening due to developers and Atlanta, of course, just growing, growing in every direction. I think by one day, we're going to be all the way in Chattanooga and down to Macon over to Athens and maybe all the way to Birmingham. I don't know because we don't have any geographical barriers. It's a problem. 
this is really an important book because it's the first major work in English that really advocates for the trees and for reforestation. Even though we think that's a newer thing in our country, it's really not. It dates back hundreds and hundreds of years. How about a book on Georgia plants? Do you have a favorite? Well, of course, newer books on Georgia plants that I love are all the books by, of course, Mike Durr and Alan Armitage. Mm -hmm. Those are just my favorites. Probably my favorite old book pertaining to plants in Georgia is William Bartram's famous work, Travels. This was published in 1791, and we do have that first edition. And I really like it because it's giving Bartram's vision of frontier America. He's really documenting the South between 1773 and 1776, studying all the flora and fauna at that time period. So it's just a really important early landmark in American literature, but also for understanding our plants in that time period. So I really particularly like that book. I'm very fascinated with vintage botanical graphics and prints. How long would it take me to see all various botanical prints that you have in the library? Well, I think you'd probably have to come and spend about a week with me because we have a lot of standalone prints purchased or been donated that are just individual prints. But we also have several hundred books that have gorgeous prints inside of them. To look at everything, I think you'd have to come in on Tuesday and stay with me till Saturday evening. That's what I would guess. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favorite? I do have one favorite. And maybe this is just, again, you know, we're all drawn to what we're drawn to. But there's an an old hand-colored copper plate engraving of a sunflower by a German gentleman named Basilis Bessler. And it's dated from 1613. And I really like it. It's gorgeous. You can actually go on the Cherokee Garden Library page now on the website, atlantahistorycenter.com. And I have a video I took of it you can look at. Okay. It speaks to me because when I was growing up, leading on to my cousin's farm or going to see my Mimi or anybody in my family, everybody always had sunflowers growing along their fence lines. So to me, sunflowers just say it's the South, right? You know, it's just part of who we are. So it's just kind of sentimental. I grow on myself. When I grew up and learned more about them, I realized that they were one of the few crop species that are really from North America, you know, from here. Right. And that a sunflower head can produce up to a thousand seeds. That's used for food and oil and just to eat sunflower seeds out of a bag, which we all love to do. I particularly like old botanical because it's stunning and the colors are just I wish I could describe them better to you, but the variations on the greens and the yellows and that are just gorgeous. Prettier than anything you'd see online today in a photograph, I promise you. Just stunning. Oh, yeah. Just stunning. What is the more unusual treasures that you have in the library? One thing I was actually showing on a tour yesterday that's really interesting are the old garden edging tiles. For Georgia, these tend to date around 1900, and we have several in the collection course, they were used to line old garden beds. Sometimes people used them in cemeteries to line someone's grave, Mm -hmm. Um, but they're really interesting. They come in all kinds of decorative patterns. They have arches on the top of them or circles and stars, sunbursts, tic-tac-toes, but they were made of fired earthenware and they had a transparent glaze on them. They're non-porous and so they could withstand the effects of weather, kind of like old bricks. So I'm fascinated by them because they're just sort of these little treasures that we don't think about. In our state, they were made turn of the last century down in Milledgeville, also in Macon and Columbus. I always say to people when they come see them at the library, every time you go to an old town in Georgia, pay attention. Look at what's lining the garden beds because you would be shocked at how many you'll see. 
Then start counting how many patterns you see. It's really interesting. I think now I've counted up to about 50 different patterns just myself when I go to old places. I'm just fascinated by that. I just think they're really a unique treasure. And we knew they were made in our state. That makes them even more special. I'd never really noticed that, but I'm going to keep my eye out now for those. That sounds really interesting. Were they exported from the state or states had their own? I would think they were made where they fired brick. Yeah, they made them where they fired brick. And of course, um, fancier people would import them from England because that's kind of where they got their birth about 50 years before they came here. If you were super fancy, which I wouldn't have been and am not, um, you might have imported them from England or France. But I don't know why you would have because you could have just gotten Prima out your own backyard. You know, you could have just driven down to Milledgeville or Macon and gotten them for your garden here actually think the ones made here, they look more handmade, almost like pieces of folk art, which to me is more interesting than the super high style ones that almost look exactly the same every time, if that makes sense. Why are old seed catalogs and nursery catalogs important to us today? Lots of reasons. First of all, we just have a lot here representing about 500 different seed and nursery companies, and they date back to the 1820s. But I think they're just really important documents because they really document our seed and nursery business in the U.S. and, of course, the Southeast. Give us a window into our plant history. For example, I used to live in a house. My house is newer now. It was built in 1930. Ooh, it's so new. But anyway, my (laughs) old house was built in 1907 in Grant Park. And when I first bought it, it had very little plant material there. It had one remaining red oak, a small lot. And I really wanted to put plants that were period appropriate to the house, little folk Victorian house. And so I went and looked in the Hastings seed catalogs we have here that dated from 1907. And I picked, believe it or not, my flowering shrubs and my bulbs and everything based on what was most popular in that time period that I could find in these old Hastings seed catalogs. And believe it or not, there are lots of people that like to do this. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'm sure you're very aware because you you know the gardening world quite well. For every plant, there is pretty much a plant society. Yeah. Folks that are, for example, really into hydrangeas or they're really into roses or dahlias or whatever their thing is, they can come here and look at the old catalogs and see what was popular at different times. And then the heirloom vegetable people like them because they can come back and sometimes trace like an old tomato Mm -hmm. that's fallen out of favor, but they've somehow gotten seeds from a grandparent and they're then growing this old tomato that tastes delicious. They usually look ugly, which I kind of like that they look ugly. Um, (laughs) I always say if a tomato looks ugly, it's going to taste great. Um, (laughs) So we also have all the heirloom vegetable people come and look at these old catalogs as well. Yeah, yeah. That makes me think of my cousin before he died was big into old plants. And he sent me a catalog from a fella up in North Georgia. It had all these different heirloom apple trees. (gasps) Was it Jim Lawson? It could have been. I don't remember the name. Oh, my goodness. Well, after we chat. You have to follow up with me later and let me know if it was Lawson's nursery. Because I just went up to visit Mr. Lawson a couple of months ago, and he's in his mid-90s. Okay, it could have been him, because that would have been kind of the time frame. This would have been probably when he was in his 70s or 80s, something like that. That could very well be. It was some old, old varieties, and he was really into that. He knew I was in the nursery business, and he just thought I would enjoy having it. And I did, and, and I've kept it, like a lot of that kind of stuff. I would have to dig to find it, so... 
Well, when you find it, and if you're willing, you could always donate it to the Cherokee Garden Library. We'd love to have it for people to use for research. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yay, how nice. <laughs> well, if I find it, then we'll, we'll talk. <laughs> Tell us about some of your favorite old postcards that you have. Well, this is another area that sometimes folks are surprised when they come to do research here, but we do collect old postcards and we have about 400 of them and they're all over the Southeast and they show all kinds of things, landscapes of all kinds, you know, residential gardens, street scenes, parks, cemeteries, and most of ours date to the early couple first decades of the 20th century. So one that I'm absolutely fascinated by is this postcard. It dates around 1920 and it's of a cotton mill employee's greenhouse down in LaGrange, Georgia. Now, this is Callaway Textiles, right? Cal we think Callaway Gardens. Right, right. But the cotton mills back in the early 20th century, people like the Callaways would sponsor their employees to grow plants and to garden, which hmm. is something I was completely unaware of. I guess I was just ignorant. This is a neat old postcard showing these really pretty elaborate greenhouses that these employees had where they propagated their own plants and they had their own horticultural societies. They had their own flower shows and everything, which I just had no idea that went on. So I was fascinated by that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. And I've got a pretty good connection to LaGrange. That's totally new to me. It was totally new to me when we found this postcard online. And I think we bought it off eBay for like $5 or something. But anyway, it was just a su surprise. <laughs> do you search eBay and things like that for things to acquire? We do. We actually have a special acquisitions committee and it's made up of 12 members. These are just folks in the community that volunteer with me. One's a landscape architect. One's an archaeologist. One's a former rare book dealer. One's a historian, you know, all kinds of folks. One's just a dig in the dirt gardener. They help me scout old estate sales. We'll go down to Scott's Antique Market. We go on eBay. Just basically anywhere you might come across something pertaining to gardening in the South. We're always keeping our eyes out. Yeah, we need to talk more. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's unbelievable what's out there. And a lot of times you go online, eBay even, um, you'd be surprised how hard it can be to find things pertaining to the South. There's a lot on the Northeast and the West Coast. It can be a real challenge to find things for the Southeast region and particularly Georgia. I've used the words old, vintage, treasure in many of my questions. Do you have new or current gardening books available? We absolutely do. We have lots and lots of new books. Some folks just come in honestly because there's so many garden books y'all know this from timber press and others it feels like there's a new gardening book coming out every day right mm -hmm. so a lot of times i have a group of researchers that come in regularly because they want to look at the books or read part of them but they're running out of space in their own homes <laughs> So they come here to look at the new books. We really do. We purchase new books throughout the year. And often we have a group of nice donors who, if they've read a new book they've gotten, um, they'll call me or email me and say, hey, Stace, I've got this new book on houseplants. Because, you know, that's all the rage now. All the younger people want to have all the houseplants now. Tropicals and everything. I'm just going to read it, but I don't need to keep it. And then they'll donate it to the libraries. We're really lucky to have so many. And there's so many different topics. One I've been looking looking at in the last week a lot is a wonderful book called The Southeast Native Plant Primer, 225 Plants for an Earth-Friendly Garden. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten more and more interested in native plants and using them in my garden in the last, I'd say, 10 years when I was gardening. And I do primarily ornamental gardening because I have a lot of shade.
shade on my property. A lot of old hardwoods was growing traditional Southern plants that weren't native, like azaleas, not the native ones, but azalea indicas, a lot of camellia japonicas. And I still love all those plants, but I've been trying to add a lot more natives to attract good wildlife and pollinators that we need. This book, Larry Mellenchamp, who you may be familiar with, a lot of us know who he is. Paula Gross and Will Stewart did this book and it's just a little treasure and it's really accessible the way the book's laid out. So that's an example of one that I, I've really been enjoying lately. If you have a subject that you want to read, if if I'm coming to the library, do I read it there at the library? It's not where I can check it out, right? Right. It's a non-circulating library because we have so many old things that we don't circulate the new or the old. We are open Tuesday through Saturday. Right now, we're by appointment. You can come anytime between 10 and 5. Just email me or call me and I'll make an appointment for you and you can come in. It's a beautiful space. It overlooks a gorgeous garden. So that's not bad. <laughs> yeah. And you can bring in your iPad or your laptop and the Wi-Fi is free and open access. You can just come in and get in a comfy chair and look at anything you want to look at and have, have a good time. The world's gone digital. And what new digital projects are underway there at the library? Well, we always have a lot going on. <laughs> and we have a lot of the seed catalogs available online and photographs. A recent digitization project that I'm super excited about is a large collection of images of gardens and landscapes of African-Americans in the South. I'm super excited about this because as far as I know, no other library in the whole country is doing anything like this. It's going to be a great resource. Right now, we've acquired about 500 images. They're being digitized thanks to a special endowment fund named for my friend, Carter Haywood Morris. is really nice. We're putting together this special collection, and these date back to the 1880s and go up to the 1980s, and they're fantastic. The images show urban landscapes, suburban landscapes, and agricultural rural landscapes, and the images have ornamental bulbs and flowers, shrubs, vegetables, and you can see all kinds of details of the garden in these images. One of my favorites has an old gazing ball in it. These two ladies, they look like sisters standing next to it, mm -hmm. like they're about to go out for a special lunch or church or something. So I'm excited and we hope to have these up and available online, the whole digital collection by the spring. And then we'll just keep adding to it. I have a special team of volunteers, historians in the field of African-American history helping me out on this. And I'm really excited about this new digital project. What type of photo are you interested in? What would qualify it to be in this digital collection? Any old photograph, and doesn't have to be that old, that shows the landscape well, whether that's a farm or your home residential landscape, you can always just reach out to me and snap a shot of it on your phone, email it to me and say, hey, do you have one like this? We particularly are interested in images from Georgia, obviously, first and foremost, but anywhere in the South. You're an author yourself. What inspired you to write your last book, Seeking Eden? Thanks for mentioning my last book. I'm very proud of it. It all started back with this program called the Georgia Historic Landscape Initiative. That's so formal, isn't it? Anyway, back, gosh, almost 20 years ago, because we're coming up on 2022. I don't even know how that's possible. Back in 2002, under the direction of my mentor and a landscape architect, James R. Cothran, sadly, who's now deceased, and Susan Hitchcock of the National Park Service, under their direction, a collaboration came together, the Historic Preservation Division of the State Office in Georgia, the Garden Club of Georgia, which is a great group of women, the National Park Service, and the Cherokee Garden Library of the Atlanta History Center. 
When we started this initiative, what we wanted to do was document, do an inventory of all of Georgia's historic gardens. That was the plan, which is a big, kind of a, a big goal. I don't know what we were thinking, but we're all a little crazy. So we thought, oh, let's take this on. We were trying to figure out, like, how do we get started? Because Georgia has, what, 159 counties? Is that right, Craig? That's correct. We're a big, long, wide, complicated state. We're like, how do we even begin on this? We thought for phase one, we'd use this old book called Garden History of Georgia, 1733 to 1933. And this work was published in 1933, but documents gardens all the way back to your forebears down the Savannah River area in 1733 <laughs> to 1933. A group of students and volunteers, mostly Garden Club of Georgia volunteers, spent years working on finding out what happened to these gardens that were listed in this book. When we finished phase one, my co-author, Marianne Eady, who worked for the Historic Preservation Division, and she was actually a professor of mine in grad school at Georgia State University, we both really felt strongly that we wanted to make this project, the initiative, better known by doing a book. We got together with our friend James Lockhart, who's an amazing photographer, worked also for the state office for many years, doing all those National Register nomination photographs. Yeah. Just incredible photographer. The result of it was our book, Seeking Eden a collection of Georgia's historic gardens. And it came out in spring of 2018 and it was published by UGA Press. This work really focuses on design landscapes in Georgia in the 19th and 20th centuries. Super excited about that book. I just learned that just sold over 3,000 copies. Bestseller. Which is awesome. So if you're interested in the book, you can go and get it through Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, or if you're a dog fan or you went to UGA, you might want to purchase it through UGA Press. Do know that the proceeds of the book actually go to a statewide program headed by the Garden Club of Georgia that helps restore old gardens that are open to the public for touring. So it can't be your private historic garden that you bought. It has to be open to the public. We're very honored that we are able to donate our proceeds for that important purpose. Oh, yeah. How many of the gardens were in the original work you were working off of? And then how many did you find that were still existing? Well, such a good question. So in the original book, there are about 160 gardens total. The ones that are still existing today is about a third of those. Through all that work, we figured out that about a third of those 160 are completely lost, gone. Got like a Home Depot parking lot over them or something awful, you know, developments happen. The world's changed a lot. And then another third have what I call a piece or a part of an old garden, <laughs> like say a, an alley of live oak trees at an old plantation outside of Savannah, but the Boxwood Parterre Garden's gone, but the alley's still there. So some piece of the garden, but not the whole garden. What's really exciting is we did learn that the last third were really intact and what I call the old bones of the garden, where you can really tell what the garden was and a lot of the plant material is still there today. And those are the ones we really highlighted in the book because we wanted people to use Jim's great talent with his photography to photograph those gardens through all seasons. People could really fall in love with these old gardens like I have and Marianne has too. Yeah, yeah. It's a little hard to tell people to fall in love with an old garden when you can't take a picture of it today. Are you following that work up with something else? We've entered phase two and I hope a book will come out of it. We just started this back in 2018. So the Georgia Historic Landscape Initiative with this same collaborative group of people headed up by Garden Club of Georgia. We've moved in phase two and we've got a new partner that came on board that same year. 
University of Georgia College of Environment Design Historic Preservation Program joined our party, which we're super thrilled for that support. Oh, yeah. But now we're really looking at vernacular landscapes and gardens all over our state. And these are gardens that folks like you and I are maybe a bit more familiar with. These are gardens like our Mimis and Papals would have had, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Our yeah. ancestors. And so these are just gardens of everyday people like us. Because that's my heritage, I'm extremely excited about <laughs> this current work. We did one recently over in Athens that was just an incredible garden. It was the garden of this gentleman named Harold Rittenberry Jr. And he's a self-taught African-American artist who's now in his mid-80s. And his whole yard is adorned with his yard art. These incredible nature-inspired metal sculptures Mm -hmm. and all his plants. One of the students that we had work on this, who's now actually working on her PhD over at Emory, the professor at University of Georgia, Carrie Gutchess, and I worked on this. Just incredible property. I'll have to email you the drawing of what we documented. I was fascinated when I was reading your notes on that. So we're just going to keep going and keep working. We want to tell as many stories, as as many types of gardeners in Georgia as we can through this project. Yeah. Is that older gardens or current gardens or what? Generally, we try to do gardens that had started at least 50 years ago is generally our mark. Okay. So, of course, Mr. Rittenberry had started his garden in the late 60s, 1960s. So his qualified under those criteria, which is kind of hard to believe because I'm calling myself out here. But I'm historic now because I was born in 1970. <laughs> According to the National Register of Historic Places, I'm officially historic. So that's sort of our barometer. All right. Did you get your own plaque or anything? I know. I feel like I need my own plaque. Don't we all? We should every every decade, 50 and after, we should get a new plaque. I made it another decade, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm still here. (laughs) What is your earliest garden memory? Wow, that's a really good question. Hmm. I would say one of my earliest garden memories is being with my Mimi, my grandmother. She and my papa retired down to Merritt Island, Florida, even though they were from East Tennessee. <laughs> and she had orange trees, fruit trees, and lemon trees in her garden. I can remember from the time I was maybe four or five years old, falling behind her with a little bowl, and she would tell me to hold it still as she was picking fruit. And then we'd carry it inside. And then, of course, she would slice open an orange and we'd taste it. It'd be delicious. So that's probably one of my oldest memories. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great one. What do you wish people would do differently when designing, building, or growing a garden or landscape? I think for me, just personally, I want people to think about their neighbors. Sometimes when people buy an old property and they'll put some huge extension on it and, you know, take out a lot of old trees and not really think about how that's affecting everything around them, including the birds and the chipmunks and the squirrels and all the wildlife. Mm -hmm. I'd like also for people to think about when they're gardening to share plants. I really love pass along plants is I guess what I call them or what my Mimi would have called them. I love walking out into my own garden and looking at a bulb, an old daffodil or a camellia or an old rose, something that I have that somebody I love gave me. Right. 
I like people to think about when they go out in their garden, how it connects to them personally and how it might connect to their great aunt or their grandmother, grandfather, or their mom or dad, somebody in their family. And that it's kind of like, even though maybe you've lost that person, they're still with you because you see their lily or their daffodil or something that was in their garden, in your garden every year. Right. It really does. And I'm a bit sentimental, of course. (laughs) My mother has these old lilies, which are called the milk and wine lilies. We don't call them that because my great aunt Lily grew them out on her property in Riceville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And so when I was growing up, we didn't call them milk and wine. We called them Aunt Lily's lilies. And so to me, even though everybody else calls them milk and wine, to me, they're Aunt Lily's lilies. Keeps them alive in your heart. Yeah, it is. And it's nice to just look around and you're surrounded by your family in that way. And you're good friends, you know, too. I had a good friend um, out in Texas years ago give me a bunch of spider lilies. And whenever they come up and I see them, I just think about him and I just get the biggest smile on my face, you know, (laughs) thinking, well, those spider lilies came all the way from East Texas. And here they are over in Decatur, Georgia. Do you have a funny garden or landscape related story for us? I have a good one for the library that's just kind of oddball, but I'll tell it to you. A few years back, this local garden club, it's a very nice garden club, Ivy Garden Club, they were having a big garden club anniversary. They've been around for a long time. I think they're 90-something years old now. And they wanted to purchase a rare print or book for the library commemorating their garden club anniversary. Mm -hmm. This was aligning with an exhibition we had here at the time on Mark Catesby, who was a botanist who traveled to Virginia and then different parts of the Southeast in the first couple of decades and then produced this big book called The Natural History, which talked about Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and the Bahamas. Anyway, I had pitched to them, well, we we have this exhibit coming up and we'd love to have some beautiful Mark Catesby prints. And they bought two. And of one of the two was showing an aloe plant with a flying squirrel just above it. And the print was dated 1731. And it's just gorgeous. And when you come visit me, because you're going to have to come visit me in person now, Craig. Oh, yeah. Because you just have to, (laughs) because you love old stuff so much. And so the print came in, and we're getting it ready for the exhibition for the public. And I love the prints, just gorgeous. And colors are amazing. Next day, get a call from one of my colleagues. And she's like, you are not going to believe this. I've just called the garden staff to come over with a net because there is a flying squirrel in the Cherokee Garden Library. Oh, no. I said, what? She said, there is a flying squirrel. And I thought she was talking about the print, right? And I said, no, she said an actual little flying squirrel. So our colleague came in with her net and rescued the baby flying squirrel. (laughs) And we all followed her outside to the back bridge behind the building. It was kind of like one of those Disney's characters like Snow White. We all followed the garden curator lady (laughs) outside. And she got the little flying squirrel out of the net and gave it some drops of water from a little eyedropper. And it kind of shook and and flew away. (laughs) And to this day, I just think that that flying squirrel knew that its ancestor was in that print in the library and just had to come see it for him or herself, which, of course, you know, that's a little esoteric. But it's just fun when things like that happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great story. (laughs) I like that. Really fun. Why did you decide to pursue the horticulture profession as a librarian? You know, my background is really in history and Latin and historic preservation, but I've always loved gardening and I've always loved horticulture and I don't have a degree in hort. My degrees are in the other subjects. I just mentioned certificate in library science, but I've taken a lot of horticultural classes out at Georgia Perimeter and just read a lot of books. I'm just fascinated by plants. 
I will never meet a plant I don't want to know about. <laughs> you know, I mean, much like you, I'm just a true plant geek. And, you know, I don't have the kind of knowledge that a lot of people do. I can look it up in the library, though. <laughs> but I absolutely love learning about plants and feel so grateful to be here. It's just an honor to take care of this collection and to help people learn about plants and gardening. And one thing I really love about this work is in this field, and you know this because you've been like me doing it a long time. Gardeners are just really, generally speaking, good-hearted, kind people. Right. And I wanted to spend my life in a profession where that's how I spent my time. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And I feel very, very fortunate that that's what happens in my life every single day. Yeah. I can't remember a gardener that I didn't want to hang around. <laughs> well, that's how I feel. And every time I meet a gardener, whether it's a young person starting out gardening, even a child that's gotten interested in plants and bugs. Like I'm really interested in bugs. I probably could have been an entomologist. I love bugs. Or it's like the gentleman, Jim Lawson, that famous apple grower up in North Georgia. He's in his <laughs> 90s. It's just a pleasure to always be around people who love the earth and love plants. Now, I'm going to have to go dig that out. I, I can't just let that sit. I'm going to have to go dig those <laughs> that catalog out. I really hope you do, because believe it or not, this is how a lot of materials come to the library. I'll be given a tour or I'll be on an interview like this one you're doing with me today, which is so nice of you. Um, so people can learn a little bit more about the garden library. And just out of left field, somebody will say to me, well, wait a minute. I think I have this old catalog or this old postcard or this old book. And that's how a lot of the materials have come here. It's just really out of the generosity of just thousands of people over time. And it's built this wonderful resource that anybody in the public can enjoy. Having a garden center and being a landscape designer and installer and builder and stuff, I've had different catalogs through the years that like wholesale catalogs. Would that be something you'd be interested in? Absolutely, we'd be interested in those for sure. Well, I won't tell you about the ones I threw away. That's okay. You don't have to tell me about those. I won't cry just yet and certainly not on your podcast. Yeah, but anything, any treasures you think, and even if you think I wouldn't be interested in, ask me anyway. Okay. All right. Because you'd be surprised. People call me every once in a while, I'll get a call from a lady or gentleman who'll say, you know, my mama was in garden club and, you know, we've sold our house and we've lost mama and we're about to throw all this stuff in the dumpster. Yeah. And, you know, and I'll have a nervous breakdown. I'll be like, don't do it. I'm getting in my car now. Tell me the address. <laughs> I'm on my way. And I've driven all over the state to get materials wow. because you just never know what Georgia stories we'll get from those records. Yeah. And a lot of times the think the things people think aren't important that are just specific to Georgia are the most important and very rare and very hard to come by because the regular things of everyday people like us People used to use old sea catalogs and nursery catalogs. They'd line garden beds with them. They'd use them in outhouses. I mean, you know, yeah, some yeah. of this stuff's very ephemeral, so it would just go to the wayside. Sure. So we really always want to take a good look at anything anybody has to offer. In your professional career, who has been your biggest influencer? Four different people probably have influenced me the most. One was Jim Cothran. He was a landscape architect and garden historian. He has many books pertaining to old Southern gardens. He was my professor at Georgia State University back in the late 90s, and he was the one that really sparked my interest in the garden library here and helped me get my internship here as well. So definitely Jim Cothran. Also, Ann Carr, who we lost many years ago as well. She was the founder of the garden library. And when I first started working here, I just absolutely fell in love with her. She 
became like an, another Mimi to me. <laughs> she just treated me like a granddaughter and just was so smart and so sophisticated and world traveled and really understood rare books and horticultural history and gardening. She had a beautiful garden over off North Side near the History Center. I would say also Ryan Ganey, who you may or may not have met before he passed. He was a famous Georgia gardener and designer, lived over in Decatur near me. And I met Ryan in the mid-90s. And he just taught me a lot about garden history and a lot about plants. He taught me a lot, lot about plants. I just adored him. Probably the fourth person is Ed Dordery. He's still with us. He's 94 years old. <laughs> he is a landscape architect here in Atlanta. He's been involved with the library long before I ever came here. And Edward is just one of the finest, smartest, most kind, loving people I've ever known. Even though he's landscape architect, he knows plants inside and out. You know, there's that whole debate about, you know, landscape architects not really knowing about plants. <laughs> you know this story, right? Oh, yes. Edward went to UJ and then Harvard in the 40s and early 50s. So his training was from a different generation where he had to know plants really well for his profession. A great plantsman, a great designer, but he knows Atlanta inside and out like nobody I've ever met. Everything I know about this city, I know from him. And that includes all the gardens and the plants in and around the city. We've been to many gardens together and I've learned a lot about him and his collection of all his drawings is held here at the Garden Library. And he's just 94 and still an inspiration every single day. Does he come in a lot? He doesn't come in so much in recent years, but for years and years, he came in all the time. And we still talk from time to time as well, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like for you to complete this statement. In my garden, I have. In my garden, I have lots and lots of uh, native ferns. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell us about your garden. My garden's tiny and not impressive by any standard like the Swan House or anything. But it's your garden. It's my garden. It's modest. It's, I would call it like kind of a little cottage garden. I mostly have shade because I have a lot of old post oaks and an old hickory mm -hmm. and some old pines on my property. And it's only a little less than a third of an acre. So I got a lot of old big trees, but I got lots of shade plants, lots of ferns, lots of oak leaf hydrangeas. <laughs> Lots of bulbs that will take some shade. I'm in my partial shade spot. I've got hundreds of old daffodil bulbs that my friend Sarah Van Beck has given me over the years. It's a modest little place, but I think it's charming and it suits me. What are your future plans for your garden? I recently put in a new fence on the rear of the property because I got a new puppy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping to continue expanding um, my native plant palette in the rear of the garden and add a lot more smaller ornamental native trees. I want to add a lot of red buds and dogwoods back there and kind of keep it simple. I want to also add some Catawba rhododendrons and just keep it kind of simple in the back, kind of keep it a place where I can just relax. Yeah. The front's got way too many plants, and so do both the side gardens. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you could put one more plant in there sideways, because you know how we are. Once we get started, it's kind of hard to stop us. Yeah, we know it's not a good idea when you're designing to just go buy random plants, but we just can't help ourselves. We really can't, and that's what happens when somebody gives us a plant. I'm trying to be a little more methodical and thoughtful for the <laughs> this current phase, but, you know, ask me in three years and I'll probably tell you I've put too many plants back there. But anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
It's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. <laughs> well, what is your favorite plant? That's like, what day of the week is it? That's really hard to say. Recently, I've really been quite interested in all the native azaleas. And I haven't planted any in my garden, but I plan to. Been very obsessed with the flame azalea. And I think because a few times when I've been out hiking and I've looked up along a big patch of them somewhere, they just take your breath. Yeah. And I'm not sure how that can translate into a small home garden or if it's even possible. There's just something about them that's just charming to me. They also just remind me of home, East Tennessee and North Georgia as well. I think the older I get, the more plants that have impacted me when I'm hiking or that were in my Mimi's garden or my mother's garden. Those are the ones I'm kind of seeking out now. How can people connect with you and the Cherokee Garden Library? Well, it's super easy to connect with me. You can call me anytime at 404-814-4046. And if I don't pick up, leave me a voice message and I promise I'll call you back pretty quickly. Or you can email me at scatron, C-A-T-R-O-N, at atlantahistorycenter.com. You can also go online at atlantahistorycenter.com and find the Cherokee Garden Library page. We have a wonderful webpage and lots of information and you can reach me through that as well this has been episode 119 the cherokee garden library unearthing ancient gardening wisdom with stacy catron an encore presentation and remix of episode 39 thank you stacy you're awesome the goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time please generously share the garden question podcast with your friends relatives and neighbors check out our website thegardenquestion.com for links resources and where you can listen to every episode again and again you will not want to miss a weekly episode so please subscribe to the garden question podcast with craig mcmanus on your favorite listening app keep on designing building and growing a smarter garden that works 